Yeah, so I'm super excited about this morning. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, we launched our, our new series, Not Simply Stories, where we're talking about the parables that Jesus told and how they can be applied to our life today. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the this, this story of the unmerciful servant. Uh, we talked about that when somebody wrongs us, we're supposed to forgive endlessly, we're supposed to forgive fully, and we're supposed to forgive quickly. Uh, we talked about how we handle situations, that we don't go to talk to everyone else. We go to the person one-on-one, and we handle the situation because this is the way that Jesus deals with us and with our issues. Uh, it was a really amazing week. This week won't be as long. Some of you are thinking, man, he gets longer and longer every time he speaks. No, this week will be fine. Hang in there. Um, I want to note something about Jesus before we, get in, before we continue with this series. Uh, this week I was sitting and thinking, why was Jesus crucified? Why did people kill Jesus? Because it seems like everything that he did on the earth was a good thing. He came and he healed people. Was the government mad that he healed too many people? Too many people were getting better, so they were mad? No, that makes no sense. Was he too kind? Was Jesus walking around and he was just too nice? And they, they were done with it. They were, no, we don't want anybody. We need some mean people. No, they didn't kill Jesus because he healed. They didn't kill him because he was too kind. They killed him because of what he taught. They killed him because of the parables that he taught. What he said was so antithetical to the customs of the day. It was the exact opposite of what they assumed was going to be true and what was happening. So they did not like it. The people that actually killed him were religious leaders that were uncomfortable with his radical teachings. And so the first kind of the first thing we just need to note about our lives when it comes to the parables is that our lives should look different than the customs of today. Our lives, our beliefs, our values should be different than that of today. That's what was true of Jesus' time. It's the way that he lived, and it's the way that we should live. We should look different. We should speak different. We should should talk different. We shouldn't act the same as everyone else. When everyone's being complacent, we should be moving forward. When everyone's talking about other people, we should be moving forward. We should not look the same. We should look and be different. Different. So that's just the first kind of thing for today. Oh, wait, hold on. I forgot to show y'all this. Look at this. Huh? And caulk. We, Dan, Dan Lee and I, if you're on Facebook, we had a, we were on this scaffold like some, I'm going to make it up. It was like a thousand feet in the air. We were so high. And this is what we worked with all week, and we had a blast. And then at Love's yesterday, we played Cowboys. Oh, man. That wasn't yesterday. Two days ago. Whatever. Anyways, that was a recap for the trip. Okay, here we go. Wow. I'm all over the place. All right, so today we're going to do the story. We're going to talk about the story of the Good Samaritan. We're going to be in two passages of Scripture, uh, Luke chapter 10 and James chapter 1. Uh, we're going to look at this story from a different points of view. Um, if, if you... If you know this story, which I'm assuming if you've been in church, you probably do know this story, I just want to challenge you to not tune out today. Uh, don't, don't let what you've heard about this story and what you know about this story uh, take you away from what we're going to talk about today, because I believe today is going to be impactful, and I believe it's going to challenge you. It's challenging me. Uh, it challenged me this whole week. Uh, so this is a powerful story. We need to grasp it so we can, we can take it for our lives. Uh, So if you want to go ahead and turn there, Luke chapter 10, we're going to read this parable. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. 
On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? So first off, your version of the Bible might say a lawyer approached Jesus. This is not the kind of lawyer that we're thinking of. This is not someone that comes and tries to defend others. It's not somebody that comes and tries to be on somebody's side and help them. This is someone who is an expert in the law, the Old Testament law. And so when he comes to Jesus, he's not asking an innocent question. He's coming because they're already mad at Jesus for what he's been saying. And so he's trying to trip him up. He's trying to get him to say something wrong. Jesus is, is clever and sarcastic at the same time. And he says, well, what, what do you think? What, do you, what does the Bible say? What, what does the Old, Old Testament law say? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He wanted to justify himself. This man, his, his only purpose in asking this question is that he's trying to mess up Jesus. And Jesus' response messes up this guy's life. His life has to look different after hearing Jesus' response. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of Roberts? Robbers. <laughs> Roberts. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The first thing we need to realize is that the question that this man asks in and of itself is a flawed question. He's asking, what can I do? What are the things that I can do in order to retain, in order to gain uh, eternal life? In the Old Testament, there is over 2,000 laws of what you should and shouldn't do. 2,000 laws of what you should and shouldn't do. Have you read Numbers? Have you read Leviticus? It's, it's all laws. It's, he literally, it's just law after law after law, what you're supposed to do, what you're not supposed to do. And this lawyer had all of those memorized. He knew everything. And in his mind, he thought, if I do all of these things, that's how I get eternal life. And so he asked Jesus, he's testing Jesus, Jesus, how well do you know the law? And Jesus says, there's really only two laws. And Jesus says this again later in another book. Jesus came not to destroy the law, not to replace the law, but he came to fulfill the law. He came to be the law. And what he said is, every law that's ever been set can fit under two things, love God and love people. Those are the two things that every law fits under. It doesn't mean the Old Testament and the stuff in the Old Testament is void. It doesn't mean that it's not good. It doesn't mean we shouldn't follow it. It means that everything in the Old Testament falls under two categories, either loving God or loving people. And this, this is what he says. And this is the premise for this conversation that they have. As we discussed uh, a while back, this is not faith versus works on how you retain eternal life. It's not faith versus works. Often it's two camps. It's faith 
and works. We are saved not by the works that we do, but by our faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. That's how we're saved. But our works testify to our salvation. And so if your works, if something's not lining up with the word of God, you have to look at yourself and say, do I really believe this? Because if you do, you're going to be in the process of sanctification. Your mind and your thoughts and your actions are going to begin looking different, looking more like Jesus. Our works back up our faith, which is why it's important that we make sure we love God and we love people. Because it testifies to what's going on on the inside. It testifies to our sanctification, to how close we are to looking like Jesus. The lawyer is not satisfied. He's still trying to trip Jesus up. And so he says, okay, well, who is my neighbor? You say I'm supposed to love God. I'm supposed to love people. Okay, well, who is people? And in this day and age, in this custom, people, his people, would be Jews. It would be no one outside of his his uh, culture. So if it was a Jew asking this question, then he would define his, his neighbor as a Jew. If it was a Samaritan asking the question, he would define it as a Samaritan. And so this is what they viewed as neighbor. And so when Jesus answers and responds in the way that he does, it would have been dead silent in the room. No one, you, wouldn't, you could not have even heard a pin drop. Wait, that doesn't make sense. You could have heard a pin drop. I'm still tired. I'm still recovering, okay? You've got to give me, give me a break. You could have heard a pin drop. It was dead silent because what he said was so antithetical to the customs of the day that they would not have known how to respond. There's four people in this story. The first is a priest. The road from Jerusalem to, <coughs> from Jericho to Jerusalem would have been 18 miles long. 18 miles. They don't have cars. 18 miles right now is nothing. You could drive 18 miles. You could drive to Kroll. Kroll is like, what, 20 miles away? Something like that. It's just, like, just down the road. Except for imagine that whole way is nothing but rocks. And you have like little baby sandals on. And, and it's mountains. It's mountains everywhere. It's, it's horrible. It's a terrible road. Still to this day, it's not a good road. It's still about 18 miles long and it's still rocky. Okay? Still to this day. Let alone when you don't have a vehicle, when you're walking. This is a horrible, horrible road. And often on this road, you did encounter robbers. You encountered bandits because it was the perfect place. It was a really long road. It was a horrible road. They had places to hide. And so there were robbers all over the place. And the Jew in the story is a victim of it. And he gets robbed and he gets beaten and he's, he's naked and he's laying on the ground. He has nothing. He's near death. And a pastor walks by. A priest walks by. And, and again, in this day and age, priests were of such high esteem, such high value. They were viewed as a, as a symbol of, of hope. That When you saw a priest, you knew, oh, okay, we're going to be fine. He's going to help. He's going to do everything that he can. They were a symbol of, of hope. And yet this priest, it doesn't say why, but he looks at, at the man that's laying on the road. And he doesn't just walk by him, but he walks on the other side of the road so as not to even be seen next to him. Why did he do that? Was it, was it fear? He didn't, he didn't, he didn't want the, the robbers to get him too. He didn't want others to see him, fear of what other people would think if he, a priest, was helping somebody. Why did the priest not do it? We don't know. It doesn't say. But regardless, the priest failed to be a neighbor. So then you have the Levite. 
And a Levite was a little bit less respected than a, than a priest. Priest is like the ultimate amount of respect. He was so respected. And a Levite was still very highly respected. I mean, you would still walk and you would shake their hands. You didn't ignore them. I mean, they were still a, a person. They were respected. They, were, they would be like a popular person nowadays. Like you would see somebody popular in town, which I haven't been here long enough to know who that is. Probably Jim Waldo. I don't know. But you would see somebody that everyone knows in town. And you'd walk up, hey, how are you? You know, whatever. It was somebody like this. And this guy walks, sees the man naked. He's dying. Again, runs to the other side of the road as to not be seen with him. Why does he do this? Again, is it fear? He doesn't want people to see him helping. He doesn't want people to see him standing next to somebody like this. It could have been that he was worried about what people would think because this man is dirty. And in this time... To be physically dirty was a huge deal. And it would, honest, it would be like a, a, a stab to your religion and your beliefs if you were that dirty. And so maybe that's what he was thinking. We don't really know. But something stopped him from helping this man. The third person in the story is the Jew himself who was on the road and was stopped by robbers. And then the fourth person is a Samaritan. Often when we hear this story, we think of the Samaritan. And, and still to this day, like the Samaritan... We know that he wasn't, that the Samaritans and the Jews weren't like buddy-buddy. Like we know, oh, well, maybe they didn't like each other. You know, maybe they were, you know, a little angry about something. Okay, we cannot even understand who and how horribly the Samaritans and the Jews disliked each other. There is nothing we can possibly compare it to. It started in 722 B.C. when the Assyrians conquered Israel and they took all of their people into captivity. And it, that... that prompted years and years of captivity and of rape and of incest and of, of unbelievable atrocities that we don't even understand in this day and age. In our day, we cannot even think of somebody to compare the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans. This is how bad it was. It, they would not have said hi. They would not have been in the same town. They would not have looked at each other. They hated each other, and hate doesn't even cover it. They loathed each other. They could not stand the idea of somebody of Samaritan belief or of, of Jewish culture. It was that bad. This wasn't just an enemy. This would be like somebody's absolute worst enemy, yet it was this man that stopped and helped. It was this man that when he saw somebody broken, he helped. It was the hated that loved. It was, it was the persecuted that served. It was this. This is how shocking it would be for them. And he's sitting there, and he's thinking, this lawyer has to be thinking, what in the world? No. There's no way. Honestly, this man, this broken and hurt man, probably wouldn't have even wanted help if he knew it was a Samaritan. This is how bad it was. And yet Jesus is saying in this story, this is what happened, and this is who your neighbor is. Jesus is not just telling us to be compassionate. Often this is how the story is taught, that we're just, just be compassionate, just love others, and those are good messages, and we need to hear them. We do need to be compassionate. Absolutely we do, and we do need to love others. But that's not the totality of what Jesus is saying. Jesus is trying to tell us it's time to go all in in your beliefs. James chapter 1, verse 22. James chapter 1, verse 22. says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. 
Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at himself in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Jesus, through this passage, is trying to tell us it's time to be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. And I'm going to talk about how he's saying this. Um, first, I'm going, to, I'm going to give you just a little illustration. I want you to think about a swimming pool. And I'm sure you've probably heard this illustration before, but when it, a swimming pool compared to our faith. See, you have the shallow end. When you're in the shallow end of the pool, are you really actually swimming? Honestly, you're not. Well, I mean, I guess it depends on your height and age. So, relatively speaking. I... In a four-foot pool, I'm not swimming, I am standing. I am standing in a pool. I have nothing to fear. I'm completely comfortable. I'm completely satisfied standing in a four-foot pool. But what about when the foot, foot? What about when the pool is eight feet deep? When it's 10 feet deep? I'm not standing anymore. I'm having to swim. I'm having to trust that I can swim. I'm having to trust that. That if something happens, someone's going to help me because I can't stand in an eight-foot pool. No one in here can stand in an eight-foot pool. Unless, if you do, let's talk because America's got talent. It's calling our names. We can't stand in an eight-foot pool. And just like this, Jesus is telling us it's time to stop standing and being comfortable and it's time to start swimming. Trust me in your faith. Trust me. He says, anyone who hears the word and does it is going to be what? Blessed. What about when you're standing in the pool? You're not going all in. I do hear the word. I don't know if I want to act on that. I hear what I'm supposed to do. I don't know if I want to do that. I'm standing here in my faith. It doesn't say anything about being blessed. It doesn't. It says what? When you hear the word and you do it. When you hear the word and you do it, you go all in with your faith. That's when you're blessed. And that's also when you're blessing others. Our faith requires us to be all in. The Bible talks about in Revelations, it's one of the most gory, gory verses in the whole Bible. It talks about people that are lukewarm, people that are not all in. And it's the Lord and He says, I will spit you out of my mouth. He's going to spit people out of His mouth that are lukewarm lukewarm in their faith, people that hear the word but don't do the word, people that know what's right and aren't doing it, people that know what they should be doing and they aren't doing it. It's lukewarm faith, and God says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. He said, I would rather you be completely cold than lukewarm because at least then you're making a commitment. Jesus is challenging us with this passage that it's time to be all in. It is easier to stay in the shallow end of the pool. It's much easier. It's also not as fun. <laughs> you also don't get as much. When I say I'm going swimming, I don't stay in the shallow end of the pool because that's a waste of time. I can stand everywhere. I can stand right here. I'm standing. I'm not swimming. I can stand in the grocery store. When I want to swim, I'm going to go to the deep end with our faith. Why do we stay so comfortable? It's not really faith when you're not living it out. 
when you're not going all in. And this is what he's saying. It's time to go all in. As we swim in the waters of our faith with Christ, we become freed because we are then doers. We're not just hearers only. And again, as we've discussed, our works are what backs up our faith and testifies of it. It says right there in James chapter, chapter 1, when you hear the word and don't do it, you're deceiving yourself. You know who the Bible says is a deceiver? He says he's the ultimate deceiver? The enemy. Satan is the ultimate deceiver. So you know what he's thrilled with? Christians that go to church and don't live out what they've heard. Christians that hear teachings and don't live out. He is thrilled. He's not, because then he doesn't have to do anything. He's sitting there, he's thinking, great, they're hearing, they're not doing, they're doing my job for me. He's completely satisfied, completely happy when we can come to a building like this and hear, hear words from the Lord and not act it out. He is completely satisfied. It compares us, if we hear and don't do, to a man who looks at a mirror and walks away and forgets what he looks like. That is 100% self-explanatory. If you think about dumb, if you think about how dumb can you be to look in a mirror and immediately forget what you look like. I've never had that issue, okay? I don't even look at mirrors very often, and I still can tell you right now I, basically kind of what I look like. But this says, when you hear the word and don't do it, you are as dumb as a man who looks in a mirror and, has, and walks away completely forgets what he looks like. This is, the, this is what the word of God says the enemy is satisfied when we hear and don't do. The priest in this story, the priest in this story, and the Levite, both of them knew the word. They knew what they were supposed to do. They knew that they were supposed to hear and do, that they were supposed to love this broken person, and yet they didn't. They were hearers, not doers. It took a Samaritan. It took the enemy of this person who decided, I'm going to hear and I'm going to do and I'm going to love this person. This person that's my enemy, I'm going to love, I'm going to sacrifice for because I'm going to do the word of God. Our faith has to be backed up in order to show the heart of God to others. This is how we do it. This is, this is how we show God's love this week, we had the opportunity to do this in Flagstaff. We had the opportunity to take, we, had, we did have a fun week. If you look at Facebook or, or what's that called? Instagram? <laughs> wow. If you look at these things, you'll see we had a fun time. We laughed a lot. We cried we were laughing so hard. But you know what else we did? We loved people. We went to this place and got to do things for them and serve them. Not because they couldn't do it themselves, but because by us doing that, we're showing the heart of the Father to them. God cares about what you're doing here. And we got to do that. We got to go to Navajo Reservation and join with them in worship service. Danley and I sang, and we were not good. We were bad. We did not know what we were singing. Like, like completely words I've never heard before. Actually, some of them I heard before, they mean something different in English. But, but they were this kind of thing, and we were singing and we were, by, by coming and loving these people, we're showing them the heart of God for them. All it took was us going. All it took was us going and doing and loving people. If we're lovers of God, the Bible says we're slaves to righteousness. 
We are slaves to righteousness. Righteousness, Christ-like living. We're slaves to living like Christ, which means if we really love God, if we really and truly love God, we're going to love the broken. If we really love God, we're going to love the poor. If we really love God, we're going to serve others. Because this is what Jesus did. This is the way Jesus lived. If we really love God, we give. Jesus came and gave absolutely everything of himself. He gave up everything. If we really love God, are we really giving up everything? Are we really giving up everything to show people his heart? As we love God, we look more like him. And let me tell you what, it's a lot easier to be a doer of the faith with people that you like than with people that you don't like. The priest, the Levite, they weren't doers of the word, and it was somebody that they could stand. But then the Samaritan comes along. It would have been the most easily understandable if the Samaritan came and ran to the other side of the road, but he didn't. It's so much easier to be a doer of the word with people that you like, with people that you can stand, with people that haven't hurt you, with people that haven't broken you, with your kid that hasn't talked back to you. It's much easier to be a doer of the word. But what about when they have, when you have been broken, when you have been hurt, when someone has talked back to you, when your kid has disrespected you? It's not as easy to be a doer of the word. But we've got to remember what Christ did. When Christ came and lived and died and served and loved, he did it for people that were turning around and giving the middle finger. That's what he did for us. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. But in that, Jesus still came for us. This is the way we are to live. As we look more like Christ, we become doers of his word and not just hearers. Jumping in the swimming pool of our faith, going all in, living all in, taking the steps that we're supposed to be taking, it directly births God's blessing in our lives. Directly births God's blessing in our lives. When God says to give and we give, we are blessed. When I was in, uh, I can't say because the camera, but I was, in, I was in the Middle East somewhere several years ago, and we ran, we ran into, we ran, Wow, I'm so tired, I can't even speak. We had this church, this underground church family that we had partnered with, and they had this little seven-year-old girl. And me and this little girl got super close, didn't speak the same language. We just had a blast together. I was, we were throwing balls together, we were just having a blast. And one day, we were having a service, and this little girl through a translator says, I want to learn to play the guitar because I want to be able to play for this underground church. And immediately, isn't it funny how the Lord just, like sometimes he just, boom, you know he's speaking to you. And we, we always fight it. <laughs> like, uh, no. Immediately, I felt the Lord say, you need to buy this girl a guitar. Okay, I'm an 18-year-old missionary. No money. Missionary literally means no money. Like when you go into missions, I was with an organization called YWAM, Youth with a Mission. We used to say it was youth without any money. Like that's literally what we made the acronym. Nothing. I was 18 years old. And I felt like the Lord said, you need to buy this girl a guitar. And I thought, okay, guitars are expensive. I don't want to do this. I don't, I, I, we don't have time. I don't have money, whatever. So I fought this thing for two weeks. I, two weeks. Every day I saw this girl, I thought, I'm supposed to buy that girl a guitar. And I'm not doing it. I'm supposed to buy that girl a guitar. I didn't do it. Finally, one of the last days we were there, 
I walked up to, to this girl's mom and I said, okay, where's, where's like a guitar store or like a Walmart? Like wh- where can I buy a guitar? And so I go to this place and I, and I buy this girl a guitar and I take it to her. And it, that's one of my favorite memories in my whole life. Because as I saw this girl receive this little, it was like a little Tykes guitar. I mean, it was nothing like fancy anything. But as she took it, in that moment, she experienced the Lord in a way she never had. And that blessed me more than anything else on that whole trip. Seeing that this little girl, because of somebody's faithfulness to listen, this little girl's life forever looks different. And that blessed me. I was blessed when I gave. When we hear the Word of God and do the Word of God, it brings a blessing on our life, an automatic blessing. And that blessing, specifically with a guitar, I have not heard from that family because we're not, you know, we can't really talk to them. But, but I cannot even imagine the ministry that has come out of a little tyke's guitar in an underground church. I can't imagine the people that have gotten to come and experience the presence of God in a new way because of an eight-year-old girl. Well, she wouldn't be eight. She'd be whatever, math. Playing guitar, playing guitar and, and getting to worship, getting to worship underground the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because of faithfulness in listening to the Word of God and acting on the Word of God. When we are hearers and doers, we are blessed. When God says to serve and we serve, we're blessed. When God says to give and we give, we're blessed. And we point others to Christ by that. There's a man named Francis Chan. He's a pastor up in the north. Um, he has a church, and they, when they were still growing, they felt like they were supposed to do a, a conference for the homeless in their town. And so what they were going to do is, on a Saturday morning, they were going to have a few hours of teaching and a few hours of worship, and then all afternoon and evening, they were going to do haircuts, and they had hired dentists, and they were going to feed them. They were going to do all these different things, except for one thing. They didn't have the money to do it. They did not have the money. They were still a growing church. But... They, in faith, believing that they had heard from God, acted on it, and they planned it. They had everything planned, okay, literally everything. They had 8,000 homeless people that signed up to come to this conference, 8,000 homeless people. Two days before, they realized they had no food. They had no food, and they had no money to buy food for this conference, this huge conference that 8,000 people. And as they're sitting in a staff meeting, Francis Chan is saying, we, we heard from God, and we're acting in God. We need to trust that it's coming. We heard, we acted, we need to trust. Two hours after that meeting, the local grocery store, Trader Joe's, called them and said, hey, all of our fridges just went down. Do you have any use for all of this meat? And they weep on the phone. And they sit and they listen As these people tell them, we have brisket, we have pork chops, we have hamburger patties, we have hot dog, we have all these different things. Because why? God blessed them when they were faithful to do what he asked. He blessed them. That's just unbelievable to think. I cannot even imagine getting that phone call. It's two days before this conference. 8,000 people are showing up. You get a phone call. Hey, we have all the food. It's free. (laughs) Because God is faithful. When we are faithful, God is faithful. When we are faithful 
to listen and act on the Word of God, He blesses us. This is called the Abrahamic Covenant. It's in the Old Testament. God blesses us so that we can bless others. It's why we are blessed, so that we can bless others. I hear a lot of things like, well, right now I'm not experiencing the goodness of God. I'm not experiencing the blessings of God. Well, here's the question then. What are you doing when God does give you the goodness of God? When he he does bless you with things, how are you responding? Because he blesses you so that you can bless others. He blesses you so that you can show others him. Well, I'm I'm not experiencing the presence of God. I'm not experiencing the spirit of God. Well, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes to empower us to live differently, to point others to Christ. So how are you discipling others? The Spirit moves. You see this all throughout Scripture. The Spirit moves when people take risks and trust Him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow to the king. They wouldn't bow. They said, we're only going to bow to the Father. And so they get thrown in the fire. And who shows up? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God meets them in a fire. And they're not burned. They don't smell bad. Nothing. Because when they were willing to go all in, they were blessed. When they heard the word and did the word, they were blessed. The Spirit of God met them. The blessings of God met them. So here's a, as we close, here's just a few principles uh, when it comes to being a doer and not a hearer only. Number one, don't count the reward. We are to love because it's who we are, not because we're trying to get something. We should not love because, because if I love enough people, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get eternal life. If I serve enough people, I'm going to get eternal life. No, we love because our identity is love. Those that love Christ, our identity has been made into his. We are, we are love. We exist to be love. We don't love to gain something. If we begin to love and serve to gain something, then we're seeking to earn our righteousness. We're seeking to earn something, and, it's, and that's not what the gospel is. It's not what the gospel is. So number one, don't count the reward. Number two, don't count the risk. The priest and the Levite in this story, they counted the risk as they walked by. What are people going to think of me? What if I get hurt? What if I, what if I get robbed? What if this happens? What if this happens? But the Samaritan came. And he didn't count the risk. He just said, this person is broken, and I'm going to love them. This person is hurt, and I'm going to serve them. What if I do look funny? What if people make fun of me? What if, what if this happens? What if somebody sees, what if I get hurt? Let me tell you what. Sometimes in ministry, when you're ministering to people, you're going to get hurt. It's going to happen. You're going to feel backstabbed. Things aren't always going to go your way. What if this? What if this? But let me tell you something. What if the king of kings looked down and saw that his children were mimicking him? What if the king of kings looked down and saw, my kids, they're doing what I said. We don't count the risk. We shouldn't count the risk. We should remember we're doing this for a bigger purpose. I'm doing this to show the love of God to others. Number one, don't count the reward. Number two, don't count the risk. Number three, this is the final one as we close. Don't count the sacrifice. The Samaritan was also on a journey. He was also traveling. But as he went, he sacrificed his time to love this person. As he went, he sacrificed his resources to love this person, to serve this person. He sacrificed everything 
He, that's a lot of money. And he said, you know what? Also, if this money doesn't cover it, I'm going to come through. I'll pay for anything he needs. He needs a meal, go get him a meal. He's clothes dry clean, I'll pay for that. Anything. He said, anything. I'll pay for it. He sacrificed his time. He sacrificed his money. He sacrificed his donkey. He sacrificed everything to love people. And it didn't matter. It didn't matter because his focus was to love that person. In our lives, we shouldn't count the sacrifice. Well, that's going to take too long. Oh, that's too much money to do that. I don't, I, don't ha- I don't have the time to do that. Well, let's just love people. Let's just commit to going all in in our faith. Let's hear the word of God. Let's act the word of God. And in that, we are blessed and others are blessed. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Uh, we are so thankful that you're faithful. We're thankful that, that in times when we hear the word and don't act in the word, uh, that you forgive us. But Lord, I pray that today you would issue a new challenge to our hearts, a new challenge to be all in in our faith, that we would hear the word and our immediate response would be to act on the word, that we would be all in in our faith, completely committed to loving you, completely committed to loving others. God, challenge our hearts. Wake us up to parts of us that are not completely committed to you. We love you and we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.